No, not really. So we've we've been who's been enjoying our, our our series that we've been that we've been doing just lately. There's about three people. That's brilliant to know, isn't it? Not really. So there's a few people, a few more. That's right. It's been great, hasn't it? I've I've been enjoying us going through our our core values of J28 Church. Um, so for those of you that haven't been around, we've been walk, uh, working through what are our core values, and we started off with uh, a love for God's word. A love for God's word. The second thing that we came to was a relationship. We have a commitment to relationship. The third thing was generosity. The fourth one was enthusiasm. The fifth one, which was this past month, was honor. I really, really did enjoy uh, that series. I've enjoyed all of them, but you know, I felt that honor was a real poignant one. I don't know if you, you turn the news on much at all at the minute, but there doesn't seem to be too much honour flying around. There seems to be quite the opposite of honour uh, flying around in our society today. So I just think it's quite a good poignant reminder for us as a church that we are part of a different kingdom with a different set of, of values to uphold. And, uh, and then what, brings us, what it brings us to today is uh, our next core value, which is a desire to learn. A desire to learn and and when I say that what I'm not talking about here is like some kind of higher education like you need to go and book in to do a master's degree or something like that um, my, the title of my message today is a teachable spirit the importance of a teachable spirit turn to the person next to you and say it's very 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 important to have a teachable spirit excellent stuff did you say enough varies <laughs> it is so important for us to have a teachable spirit you know I, I was thinking about it this way actually just as I, I, I was praying actually even just this morning that you know Jesus taught the, the parable didn't he? he taught the parable of the the sower you know that the the farmer would come along and and scatter seed scatter seed and and some of it would 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 fall onto good soil and that it would spring up and it would produce a, a great harvest. It produce, produce good fruit and a good crop. But, you know, some of that seed actually would fall on, on ground that wasn't compatible for growth. And I know that the bigger context of that is, is speaking about salvation. You know, that God's word will, you know, unfortunately will fall on, on deaf ears. That not everybody will accept Jesus' salvation. But I actually believe that, you know, that, that parable has, actually has a... Uh, goes a little bit further and it actually shows the Christian journey from the point where you become a Christian uh, and, and you go on the discipleship journey which is essentially the, the rest of your life as a follower of Christ. Um, that if you don't have good soil in your life, if you don't have good soil which is what I describe as a teachable spirit then you, you're not going to grow very much at all is what I'm saying. In fact if you were to ask me to share one lesson, you know, for, let's just say a new, new Christian asking, give me one lesson. Well, not just a new Christian, actually, you know, but any Christian who's been on the journey for any amount of time, you know, whether that's a, a day, a week, or, you know, 50 years. Share one important lesson with me, Nathan, on what you, you believe is important for me to grow as a, as a, as a follower of Jesus. Um, and because, let's face it, some people grow for a season and then cease growing. That happens, you know, whereas the, the, the life of a disciple is one that is committed to, to growing throughout every season of their life. Um, and what I would say to you is this, the most important thing you can do is to cultivate a teachable spirit. Cultivate a teachable spirit, because a teachable spirit is everything. You see, I, I learned very early on in my, um, in my Christian journey 
I probably learned the hard way as well, because let's face it, we can all be know-it-alls at times, can't we? But I learned very early on in my Christian journey that without a teachable spirit, I would fall flat on my face. Um, don't get me wrong, there's, still, there's been occasions where I have fallen flat on my face, um, and I'm predicting there's probably still going to be some times when I fall flat on my face. Um, and you as well. You know, we're all, in the, we're all in the same boat. So this isn't an appeal to perfection or anything like that because that just simply isn't going to happen on this side of eternity, is it? Um, but I did. I realized very early on that I would fall flat on my face if I didn't cultivate uh, a teachable spirit. To put it another way, without a teachable spirit, I wouldn't produce any good fruit. I wouldn't produce anything of, of, uh, of, of any importance in my life that God desired for me if I wasn't going to be teachable. If I wanted to achieve anything noteworthy for God's kingdom, then I, I needed to realize that everything that I need to do that isn't completely contained within my current knowledge and my current abilities. You've got to get yourself around other people. You've got to open yourself up um, and align yourself with other good godly men and women who would be able to, to speak into your life. This is what I discovered and I, I'm, I'm glad that I discovered that early rather than late. That it's important to align ourselves with, with good godly men and women that, uh, that can speak into our lives and can teach us something that we don't currently yet know. We're all on that journey. Can I tell you, I am still on that journey uh, and I will be for the rest of my life and so will you. So it's important for us to, um, to understand that, you know, the moment we stop learning is actually the moment that we stop growing. The moment we stop learning is the moment that we stop growing. So before, you know, before I, I get too much, uh, too further into it, you know, before I can speak about what, um, you know, the importance of, of having a teachable spirit, what is a teachable spirit? It's a good question, isn't it? What is a teachable spirit? So what I thought I'd do is I'd, I'd comprise a couple of lists. These aren't exhaustive lists or anything like that, by the way. These are, are some examples that help us to build a picture of what a teachable spirit looks like and what an unteachable spirit looks like. I don't know if anybody... A better word for unteachable. I couldn't really think of one, really. <laughs> um, so let's look at some of the traits and characteristics of, of, of the person that is unteachable. What about this? Someone who shies away um, from asking questions or attempting anything that might reveal their lack of knowledge. Someone who, who, who doesn't like to uh, make themselves, doesn't like to risk making themselves look silly. I'm not asking for anybody to show their hands or anything like that, but you know, if this is prodding at you a little bit on the inside, you know, then you know, let's listen, let's pay attention. Someone who doesn't accept responsibility for their, for their failures, but blames anyone and everyone else. We've all met people like that, haven't we? It's not my fault. It must have been Fred down, you know, down the corridor. He was the, last one to, he was the last one to give his attention to it, so it must have been his fault, because I'm always right. Someone who doesn't accept guidance, you know, whether that be from parents, whether that be from teachers, from coaches, from pastors, from leaders... You know, from any, from, in any sphere of life. Someone who doesn't listen but talks and talks and talks and talks and talks. I don't know if you've, uh, if you've, you've ever heard it said, but um, God gave us two ears, didn't he? He gave us two ears and how many mouths? One. I think God was probably trying to hint at something with us, wasn't he? He's given us two ears and one mouth. So maybe we should be more committed to opening these than opening this 
as much as we as we possibly do. You know, it, it reveals an unteachable spirit when all we ever do is talk, 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 but we don't listen, especially when we're in the presence of somebody that we could probably learn something from. You know, I, I, I learned this by being a, a tradesman, right? I used to go in, when I go into people's houses, everybody does this, by the way. You're guilty of it at some point if you've ever, ever had a tradesman in your house. <laughs> but the plumber comes around to fix your boiler, and you look over the shoulder, don't you, saying, oh, I, uh, I've already tried that, or I've already done this, or I've, uh, yeah, no, I've already drained that radiator down. So uh, we, I, I used to get this, and I, I used to work for somebody who, was, uh, who used to get really frustrated by that. He says, I've been to this customer's house before. He says, I bet you any money they're going to look over my shoulder and tell me how to do my job. But they haven't got the first clue. <laughs> what about somebody who can't take criticism? Or correction without getting resentful or retaliating. You know, this, this can be difficult because there is a, a defensiveness in every single one of us. Even the, most placid, uh, even the most placid people can struggle with this. Can you take a word of correction? I, I, and I don't, mean, uh, you know, I don't mean abusiveness when people you know, berate you and, and really, really lay into you or anything like that. I'm, I'm describing when somebody has a genuine love for you, somebody who you have a relationship with, you know, just notices something about your character, notices that you could be doing something in a better way, but, you know, the moment, you know, the moment they bring it to your attention, it's, you know, the shoulders go back and the face turns to a, the smile turns to a frown and, you know, the defensiveness comes out, doesn't it? What about someone that resists moving out of their, their comfort zones? Whether that's, you know, in work or in ministry or in relationships. You know, but always look for the, for the easy and the familiar route. Whereas in contrast, what does a teachable spirit look like? What does a teachable spirit look like? What about someone who is aware of their limitations? Someone who is aware of the, the limitations of their own knowledge and their own abilities. Or someone who admits to their limitations as well. That can be a painful process. Someone who admits to the limitations and inabilities and shows an openness to others who can, who can teach and, and, and who can help. You know, it's a discipline in and of itself, that is. Someone who isn't t- intimidated um, by someone who knows more than you. What about someone who isn't scared to ask for, for help and instruction or, or for, for guidance and for advice? Someone who seeks uh, help and advice before the event rather than you know after the disaster strikes we've all been there haven't we when we could have we could have averted the the disaster you know if we'd have just been an asked for help if we'd just been an asked for a little bit of guidance but then we ask a little bit too late you know someone who can learn something from anyone and any and everyone you know, I, I, I've been in, you know, church meetings, for instance, or conferences, Christian conferences, and I've seen some of the, you know, people who are, I would regard as, you know, the most fantastic preachers and teachers, the most fantastic preachers and teachers who sit there and have got the notepad out, got the iPad out, you know, these days, and are taking notes as they're listening to somebody who, you know, you would probably regard as a novice compared to them because they've got a teachable spirit that says, I'm able to learn something from this person. I'm not the be-all and end-all. I can actually sit and listen and, and, and learn something from this person. 
someone who's prepared to move out of their comfort zone and try a different method, someone who's willing to make a mistake and to, and to look stupid. You know, maybe, maybe it'd just be that you, you answer wrongly sometimes. And, in a, you know, in the insecurity of, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to feel, I don't want to look stupid, I don't want to look bad. You know, you can, you can hide away and you can frown, frown upon doing that, can't we? Someone who doesn't give up when they fail at something but seeks help and tries again and again until they get it right. You know, these are all characteristics of a, of a teachable spirit. So, you know, we have all of these things that help us build up a picture of what being teachable uh, and unteachable look like. But the biggest question for us is how does it affect our faith? How does it affect our faith and impact our walk with Christ and each other? Well, let's have a look at what the Bible says on the issue. Verses are going to go up on the screen just behind me, but Proverbs 12, verse 1. Solomon really doesn't pull any punches with his language as well. <laughs> Proverbs 12, verse 1 says this, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's, quite, um, that's quite strong language, isn't it? Proverbs 15.32, it says this, If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. These are a real great practical life tips, these are. What the Bible is saying here is this, that it's saying that those who reject correction are, well, to use Solomon's term, stupid. But those who are committed to discipline and have a desire to learn are wise. And let's not forget this is written by Solomon who was the, the wisest man that ever lived, you know, aside from Jesus Christ. He, he, the Bible gives him that accolade. This is written by the wisest man that ever lived other than Jesus. How many of you are aware that the, actual, that the word disciple actually means learner? It means learner. So in other words, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in its, in its very essence is a journey of learning. You and I are when, when, we, when we accept Jesus as our saviour, what we are accepting is a life-long journey of learning that which we don't know yet. And the life of a disciple of Jesus is boiled right down. It's an, essentially an entire lifetime of learning. So, you know, I've just got a, a few points that I, that I want to run through on this, on this subject. And this is, you know, this isn't going to sound profound at all. But this is, um, this is a really great point. I'm really hoping that this speaks to you. It spoke to me. But a teachable spirit actually makes you more enjoyable to be around. A teachable spirit makes you more enjoyable to be around. You know, the opposite of a teachable spirit essentially is pride, isn't it? The opposite of a teachable spirit is pride. And pride at its very root is, is best revealed as, as insecurity. You know, I don't want to appear like I don't know what I'm doing. So therefore, you know, I'm always going to defend myself, you know, in them scenarios where, you know, where somebody just wants to give me some advice, where somebody just wants to, to point something out to me, where somebody wants to just help me with, you know, something to do with my character or my behavior. You know, I'll not show any desire to learn a better way. I'll never own it when I'm, when I'm wrong. I'll always pass the book. You know, could I just say as gently as possible this morning that if, if, those, if any of those traits um, provide a good summary of your character, then, you know, most likely people will find you exhausting to be around. Unteachable people are very, very exhausting to be around. 
It may sound hard, but it's true. You know, a person that is never wrong, or should I say, a person that never thinks that they're wrong, because everybody is wrong from time to time, aren't they? Is somebody that will struggle in their relationships, aren't they? How many of you are, let's ask this question, right? How many of you are married? Go on, raise your hand if you're in here if you're married. Right, so there's quite a number of us in the. This could get heated, right? Um, let's, have some sec- let's have some security guards or something like that. Let's just make a commitment, right, that there's not going to be any bloodshed or anything like that. If you feel like there is going to be, just move one place that way or further away from your spouse if they're here with you today, all right? So this isn't a marriage seminar or anything like that. I'm not making it up to be, but f- for the sake of affirming my point, right? I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, right? On a scale, for you married people, right? On a scale of 1 to 10, you know, 1 being not very and 10 being, you know, the highest, how frustrating is it to be married to someone who always has to be right? (laughs) Come on, shout out. On a scale of 1 to 10. 10, my word. 12. (laughs) What's my answer? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Some sofas are going to be warm tonight, aren't they? (laughs) Right, next question. How frustrating is it to be married to someone who always gets defensive when you bring to their attention, you know, something that you, um, something to do with their behavior or their character? Yeah? I'm going to stop asking you to shout out because it's just going to start getting painful, isn't it? There's going to be a riot or something, isn't there? So last one, I know I'm, I'm, I'm doing some surgery on people this morning, aren't I? I know, it's like open heart surgery this is. How frustrating is it to be married to someone who is always extremely, to quick, extremely quick to point out your character flaws and failures, but never owns theirs, yeah? Gosh, there's going to be fights break out across the place, so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to move on pretty quickly. So look, look. I know that's that is fun, isn't it? But uh, and I'm using marriage really as a, a as an example here because you know it's the relationship where we're the, let's face it, it's the the relationship where we're most intimate, where we spend the most time in close proximity to one another. Um, you know, anybody that any young person that is is wanting to get married should be should be you know told the hazards, shouldn't they? <laughs> They should be told the hazards early on, shouldn't they? Yeah. That you are going to spend a lot of time together, you know. Where you think that you spend a lot of time together, don't you, when you're dating and when you're, you know, and when you're you're courting, to use the old word. But, uh, and then as soon as you get married, when you're together all the time, you very quickly find out, don't you, uh, each other's flaws. But, you know, it is, it's it's an example. I use it as an example because we use it as a. because we're, in, we're, you know, we're close to each other all the time. But you know, these things are, are true not just of, of marriage, but they're true in all of our relationships, you know, to a, maybe to a lesser extent, but they're true in all of our relationships. And they can be you know, just as frustrating and ultimately damaging, you know, whether that's with you know, your children, whether that's with your boss or your superiors at work, um, whether it's your colleagues whether it's your, your friends, you know, the list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? One thing's for sure, a person carrying a teachable spirit is a joy to be around. You know, there's a, there's a freedom about them. 
There's a freedom about them that doesn't, you know, like I said, they don't get insecure in the company of somebody who, uh, who knows more than them. They, they're okay with being wrong from time to time. There's a freedom about them because they aren't weighed down by the burden of needing to prove themselves right continually. So we must carry a teachable spirit if we're going to have healthy relationships. Okay, that one was a bit painful, wasn't it? So let's go on to another one. A teachable spirit brings success, whereas an unteachable spirit leads to its demise. That success can, can quickly become, you know, can quickly be sucked up when we operate in the opposite of it. You know, in the Bible, there was a young king uh, who came to power called uh, Uzziah. Who's heard of Uzziah? If you've read Second Chronicles. He came to power in Judah, and, uh, you know, at the time he ascended to the throne, he was just 16 years old. 16 years old. What's interesting about Uzziah's life and his reign as the king is not just that, you know, it makes a fantastic read. It really does. I encourage you to go away and, you know, and, and study, you know, what we hear about his life. It's fantastic. Um, but he is a telling example. What makes him interesting is that he's a telling example of someone that started out with a teachable spirit and had great success. But pride set in. Pride set in and he took on the attitude of being unteachable and it ultimately led to his downfall. He spent the latter years of his life, you know, in quite a mess. We'll read it together in a second. But, you know, let me unpack the story a bit more. Amaziah, uh, Uzziah's father, uh, he died. And so young Uzziah uh, ascended to the throne, like I said, at the ripe old age of 16. When all the other 16-year-olds are sitting down playing on their iPads, you know, listening to Spotify and on YouTube, he's obviously, he's thrust into the world of massive responsibility. He's thrust into the world of, of, of massive responsibility. He's thrust into the public eye, you know, where his decisions, um, where his decisions don't just affect a few, but where they affect many. This is quite a responsibility to take on for a 16-year-old. But like all of us, Uzziah had a choice which attitude that he would adopt. He could be teachable, he could be unteachable. Uzziah... The Bible tells us that he chose well, and his reign started out incredibly successfully. Let's read it together. Second Chronicles 26. Don't switch off as I read through. I know it can be, you can switch off a little bit when you start reading through, you know, large portions of Scripture. But just follow this with me, because it really is a great example. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. I mean, there's a side note there. There's a, side, there's a point in itself. A teachable spirit will give you endurance an unteachable spirit, you'll fizzle out very, very quickly. So he reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He had a great example. He sought God during the days of Zechariah. This is important. Verse 5. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. He instructed him. In the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, uh, Jabna, and Ashdod. He, re he rebuilt towers near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. Um, he helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived uh, at Gerbal uh, and against the whatever that word is. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. 
And it goes on and it speaks about a few more of you know, his, his great successes. And it comes all the way down to verse 15. You know, after giving this great list of all the successes of his, of, his, of his early reign as king. Verse 15 it says, In Jerusalem he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defences. Um, so that the soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide for he was greatly helped. And this is the sad part, until he became powerful. Or if you want to put it a different way, until pride set in. Until the unteachable spirit set in. So Uzziah started really well. He started excellently. He understood that you know, when he ascended to the throne that he needed, he needed the help um, of someone else. And so he gave, atten- he gave his attention to Zechariah, a man that, um, that instructed him and taught him the ways of the Lord. That's what a, a wise young man at 16 years old. He knew that if he was going to be a successful king, then he needed to get some instruction in his life. He needed to have a teachable spirit. He needed to align himself, like I said, with, uh, with, with godly people that could speak into his life and show him how to do life well and how to act like a good king. He opened himself up, even though he was, you know, even though he was higher than Zechariah. He didn't have to do it. He was the king. He could just have the arrogant spirit. He could just have the unteachable spirit that says, I'm just going to get on. I'm just going to do what I want to do. But he humbled himself. He put himself under Zechariah's, um, under Zechariah's teaching and his guidance. Uzziah knew that without his help and guidance to learn how to seek God and live well, his reign would most likely be short and fraught with disaster. You've only got to read through some of the previous chapters before this to see some examples of, of, of kings that got it completely, completely wrong by following their own way. You know, could I suggest to us this morning, J28, that we are in the same position as that? We're in the same position as that. You know, we may not be a king or queen. We may not even be the boss uh, of, or be in some sort of leadership position. But our success will ultimately be determined by our humility. Our humility which is shown in a, in a desire to learn and to grow. Uzziah had a successful reign for many years because he didn't position himself as a know-it-all. He understood and he recognized the need for wise counsel. He understood the need for people to speak into his life. Someone that could show him how to do things better than he was already doing them. The desire to learn and to improve himself. And most importantly, that, importantly, that he could, couldn't achieve everything which God desires in and of himself. Let me just stop there for a second. Let, let, let us know that, that collectively this morning, that everything that God desires to achieve in and through us, J28 Church, isn't going to be achieved through the gifts and talents of the, and the ability of, of Nathan. It's not going to be achieved through the gifts and talents of Sam. It's not going to be achieved through the gifts and talents of Elaine and Lucy and Heather and Tony and Kay and so on and so on and so on and so forth. But all of us on the journey together, relating to one another with openness and, dare I say it, a, a healthy sense of vulnerability that I need something from you and you need something from me. You know, I believe that in that environment and, and, and with that, that culture, we'll see God's plans and purposes unfold and we'll, we'll, we will witness powerful moves of God. I honestly do. Through this church. 
Now, this is true. If you want to live a spiritually stifled life, which nobody does, do they? Then become defensive and insecure and self-promoting because those things are the absolute enemy of freedom and growth. If you can't ever be, um, if you can't ever be corrected without flying into a, you know, into a rage about it or a defensive frenzy, then you've got serious problems. I'm, I'm being honest with you this morning that you've got serious problems, that your, your growth as a Christian, your Christian life will be very, very limited. Like I said earlier on, I'm not advocating some kind of you know, abusive culture where anybody's allowed to lay into you at any time. I'm not talking about being you know, wishy-washy or anything like that, being a spiritual fairy that everybody picks on or anything I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about having a healthy vulnerability that allows people to speak into your life. You know, let me tell you, Jesus, Jesus corrected people. There's no two ways about it. You can't read scripture and deny that. Jesus corrected people. You know, he did it with his disciples regularly, didn't he? You know, you've got James and John, for instance, asking him all kinds of daft questions. They come up to him and say, you know, in your kingdom, can we have the, you know, the highest places of honor? You know, we want, we want to sit at your right and at your left. You know, and it corrects them. It says, you, you, you guys haven't got the first clue what you're talking about. You haven't, you haven't got a clue what you're asking for. Jesus did bring correction and he, uh, and, and he did discipline very strongly. But, you know, he had this masterful way, didn't he, of, of doing it in such a way that actually built a person up. He did it in a way that actually built a person up and released them to change and to grow. You know, you think of the woman caught in adultery. When everybody was there ready to stone her, you know, he said, I don't condemn you. But he didn't affirm a way of life. In fact, he said, you know, go away and don't sin no more. Don't sin anymore. He had this masterful way of coming across and, and disciplining and correcting strongly. But it released her to go away and to, and, to, and to grow and to change. Correction isn't comfortable. Let's be honest. It's not, is it? It's not comfortable and it's, it's not a popular thing to, to speak about. Especially, you know, especially these days, we live in a bit of a society that's moving away from, you know, from even using words like correction and, and, and discipline. They can be seen as negatives now, can't they? But the Bible actually tells us exactly the opposite of that. The Bible still tells us the opposite of that. We read it, you know, we read it earlier in Proverbs 15.32. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. The Bible says, you know, these things aren't negatives to be shunned. They're actually to be embraced because they'll bring you life and flourishing when you pay attention to them. It's important that we don't get sidetracked with, uh, you know, all of the different popular notions that we, that we see in society and that we keep our eyes fixed on God's word. That discipline isn't a dirty word. Correction isn't a dirty word. It's actually something that is life-giving and will help you to flourish in your Christian journey. Let's come back to Uzziah. Let's carry on the story. Verse 16, it says, But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah, the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah. That's a thing in itself, isn't it? Confronting a king in those days, you know, you're likely to get your head chopped off, not just a slap on the wrist. So these guys were, you know, were committed. They were, they were going in there to correct the king. 
They said to him, it's not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful. Can you imagine his face? (laughs) And you will not be honored by the Lord God, by the Lord your God. Verse 19, this is the ugly side of it. This is the unteachable character coming out. Verse 19, Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. You see what I'm saying about the defensive nature? How dare you? He became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar of the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, um, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. That is such a sad end to what started out as such a great story, didn't it? Usually, you know, what we like is something that starts out really sad and that ends really well, don't we? This is just an example of a story the opposite way around, and it didn't have to turn out that way in his life. God presents us with the same challenges on a daily basis. He presents us with the the same challenges, and we have decisions to make in which way we're going to position our attitude. They are the sad words. Uzziah, the man who began his reign humble and teachable, let pride set in. You know, and thought that he could go it alone. That's essentially what, the stu- what, what, what the, this account is telling us. You know, forget the priests. I know that that's their job, is it? I can get in there and do it. Don't they know who I am? I'm not waiting around for them. You know, why do I need anybody else's hope? I know, help, I know what I'm doing. So I'll, I'll say it again. The teachable spirit brings success. And the unteachable spirit leads to its demise. Let's go on to the next thing because I'm aware of the, the time and I know the kids are being patient. But when you have a teachable spirit, you'll have less conflict and strife in your life. Go on, write that down. If you're taking notes or if you're listening back to the podcast you know, next week or something like that, this is important. If you've got a teachable spirit, you'll have less conflict and strife in your life. Proverbs 13.10 says this. It says, where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Wisdom is found in those who take advice. You know, another version actually says, uh, pride only leads to arguments. I love that. I love that version. Pride only leads to arguments. What I find really funny as well is, I'm going back to weddings, it is, I should start a seminar or something like that. So Sam and Nikki are going to be doing the marriage course, not me. <laughs> They've got a lot better than I am. Um, but at weddings, people, you know, when people are planning weddings, they, and they always use the same verses, don't they? They, they always come out with, um, what are they? 1 Corinthians 13, isn't it? Most of these verses, by the way, are usually taken out of context. <laughs> but they come up with, with 1 Corinthians 13, don't they? Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. And it's read in like a real sentimental kind of way, isn't it? And Ecclesiastes 4.12, that's the other one, isn't it? Though, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You can guarantee that at nine out of every ten weddings, that, there's, that those are the verses that are spoken. I think, forget them verses. 
do away with them. I don't mean from the Bible. I mean from wedding ceremonies, right? This is the one that should be read out. This one that I just said. Anybody, any, any, any couple that is wanting to get married, the pastor should, should read this out as the riot act. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice or listen. And I believe that, you know, that, that Solomon should have carried on writing there. So be teachable, you know, otherwise, if you're a know-it-all, your, your spouse is going to strangle you. Something like that. That's why I would have carried on adding on to the end of that, that verse. But the truth is, you know, put marriage aside for a second. Like I said, this applies to all of our relationships, not just marriage. Anytime we get into an argument, you can know that pride is rearing its ugly head. Because where there is pride, it only ever leads to arguments. But when we approach a situation with humility, we'll have less conflict in our, in our relationships. You know, I, I read a quote, uh, which I believe contains real truth on this. That, um, I can't remember the, 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 the source of the quote, because I've not written it down, unfortunately, sorry. Um, but the, yeah, the quote is this, true humility is staying teachable, regardless of how much you already know. True humility is staying teachable regardless of how much you already know. You may know a lot. You might be a very intelligent person. You might be an older person who has lived a lot of life and have a lot of life experience. But while ever there's breath in your lungs on this side of eternity, you should be committed to learning. You know, we have, uh, just as an example... We have the CAP money course. There's going to be a, a few people have volunteered to, to, to be the officiators for the, the CAP money course that's going to be starting up in, in early 2020. And we're looking forward to that. It's great. Um, but you'll have heard me say, you know, when, when we first announced this, that, you know, me and Lucy are going to be at that course. We're going to attend that course. Why? Because we're rubbish with money. That's, no, we're not. I'd actually like to think that we're, we're very good stewards of our money and that we're very well organized with our, with our finances. But we're going to be at the course because I feel that we could learn something. Because we could improve. We could learn a new skill. We could learn a new principle that will help. You know, I've heard people again, and I keep coming back to marriage, don't I? But, you know, I've heard people, I was sharing this with a couple of our, a couple of our leaders yesterday, and I, I, I find it frustrating. I've heard people say before about marriage courses, well, we're not attending that marriage course because we've got a great marriage. Well, I applaud you if you've got a great marriage. That's fantastic. Everybody wants to have a great marriage. But have you got the perfect marriage? I'm guessing not. <laughs> so could it just be that, you know, coming along, you know, you could learn something, something that would help you and something that would benefit you? This is what I mean about keeping and cultivating a, a teachable attitude. You know, Jesus famously um, taught his disciples, didn't he? I'm, I'm, I'm nearly done now, but Jesus famously told his disciples that if they wanted to enter the kingdom of heaven, then they must become like what? Little children. Have you ever noticed children are very, very willing to learn, aren't they? They're extremely willing to, to learn. They're very teachable. They have an eagerness to, to, to soak up like a sponge, you know, what they're being taught. And they don't get defensive about it either, do they? Kids don't get defensive about it, you know. They don't, when you're trying to teach them to walk, they don't put one hand up and say, hold on a minute, Dad, you know, back away, I've got this, I'm all right. They don't do that. They don't, 
they don't say, I don't need to learn to talk. You can't teach me anything about reading. I know it all already. You know, you might as well take the stabilizers off the bike, Dad, because, you know, I've got this. I'm going to be fine. Kids just don't do that. They have a, a real willingness and an eagerness to, to learn and to soak up what's being taught. You know, and so for, for us to be successful, growing as faithful disciples of Jesus, will require the same attitude of le- towards learning as displayed in, in, the ch- in children. This is what Jesus is getting at there. Have a teachable spirit like that of a child and you'll grow in your Christian faith. I've never met anyone, I can't think of anyone, if you've got an example then you're a better person than me, but I have never met anyone who is spiritually mature that didn't have a teachable spirit, ever. I've met plenty of people who are immature, who you can quite clearly see have got an unteachable spirit, but never before have I met someone who is spiritually mature that is unteachable. You know, I had a preacher say um, that the difference between those who succeed and those who fail is often not aptitude, but attitude. I think that's great. In other words, success isn't dictated simply by your ability, but by a humble, teachable spirit. It's about attitude. You know, some of the cleverest, most talented, and most able people, sadly, turn out to be the biggest failures in life. It's true. Because they don't have a teachable spirit. So J28, yeah, I'm going to conclude here. Um, we're not going to sing at the end because it's a family service. So uh, we're going to finish so that uh, the children have been patient. But I've said it already, but I believe that, you know, if we're willing to position ourselves in humility, a desire to learn and to grow, and, you know, reject that defensiveness amongst each other, that defensiveness and that arrogance of, of pride, you know, then we will genuinely see God move in some awesome ways. I believe that we'll see a growing, healthy church you know, that by no means is, is perfect, because that just isn't going to happen. If you want to be part of a perfect church, sorry, you're, you're not going to find it here. Um, but thankfully for us, you're not going to find it anywhere else on the planet either. This side of eternity, that doesn't exist. But we will be a, a church where it's safe, a safe place for people to find Christ and journey together and learn as disciples as God works, you know, to establish his, his plans and his purposes for us. Let's, let's be committed to having a teachable spirit, J28. I believe that God can work through a church that is humble enough to know that they need God to work amongst them. You see what I mean? The church that thinks that they've got it all together, the church that is, that is as an arrogance of, of, of pride that says we've got it all together, is a church that is in decline. You, you know, a healthy... The sign of a healthy church isn't one that is all polished up. Like I said, the sign of a healthy church is one that is imperfect but is teachable. Imperfect but teachable as a humility that says we want to we grow in the things of God. So I, I, I'm, I'm finished this morning, but I, for the rest of this month we're going to be speaking about this desire to learn. I want you to come along with a desire to learn. Come along with a desire to learn. Get along to, you know, for instance, the Bible studies. I'm not just saying this and, you know, you'll always hear pastors obviously pushing the things that they are doing in their churches. That's natural. But the Bible studies should be packed. They should be packed with people because, do you know, do you know the Bible from front cover to back cover now? Do you need more of, of God in your life? I'm guessing yes. You know, so be there. Be there at it. Come with a humbleness, come with a, a willingness 
uh, to learn and to grow. Heather, I'm going to, um, in fact, I'm not going to hand back to Heather. We're, we're going to close. I'm going to pray. Um, stick around afterwards if, you, if, you, if you've not got to shoot off straight away. It'd be great to just chat and get to know you. Please come along for Cafe Church next week as well. But Lord, we do thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what is, is happening here in this church, Lord. Lord, you've taken us through some stuff, Lord, and it, it, it feels that, that you started something new. Lord, we're not perfect. We know that. We need your grace. We need your empowerment, Lord. And I, I just pray, Lord God, for each person gathered here today, Lord God, that you would give us a, a teachable spirit, a humble spirit that knows that we're not the, the be-all and the end-all, that knows that we need each other, that knows that more than anything we need you. I pray that you grant us great successes, Lord. I do pray, Lord, for the mini Roras group and all the, the fantastic things that are going on there. Forty-plus people, Lord, at this past week as something to be celebrated, Lord. It's just, it's just fantastic. Thank you for the opportunities that you've given us, Lord. We don't want to, like Uzziah, we don't want to have these great things, Lord, and these great opportunities, Lord, that for them to just be scuppered with the wrong attitude. Pray, Lord, that you help us to keep our hearts right, Lord, as we move forward in your plans. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.